Hi, my name is Matthias, and this is V Wanna Know. It's a podcast by V Magazine and powered by Ukes, the world's leading online store for fashion, design, and art that lasts a lifetime. On this show, we're diving into the world of the stranger fixations and lesser-known interests of some of the biggest names in music and fashion by pairing them with an expert in their field of interest. On today's show, Zara Larsson. Zara Larsson became a bit of a child star in her native Sweden when she won Sweden's Got Talent at age 10. Her cover of Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On from her finale performance quickly shot to number one on the Swedish charts. A slew of successful pop hits that followed, primarily from her 2017 album So Good, turned Larsson into a household name across the globe. Most recently, Larsson released a summer edition of her latest album, Poster Girl. Outside of music, or perhaps hand-in-hand with it, Larsson seems to have a knack for grabbing headlines for her off-the-cuff opinions and tongue-in-cheek sense of humor, which she often shares via social media. She's used her platform to address sexism and misogyny in the music industry, to condemn human rights violations, and most notoriously, to advocate on behalf of safer sex practices. Zara wants to learn more about the history of contraception. What were the earliest forms of birth control? How has it changed over the years? What are some of the past and present legal and cultural battles that continue to swirl around the subject? To learn more, we spoke with Dr. Carrie N. Baker, a lawyer and professor in the Program for the Study of Women and Gender at Smith College. She is an expert on women's rights law and policy, specializing in sexual harassment, sex trafficking, and reproductive rights and justice. Here's Zara's life story in less than 60 seconds, in her own words. Hi, I'm Zara Larson, and I'm a singer, songwriter. And uh, I started out my career in 2008 when I won Sweden's Got Talent. I later on signed a deal when I was 14 to a record label, and we worked on my first EP for about a year. And then I released my first ever song on cover, and it got really big in Scandinavia and Europe. Then I just kept releasing music. Lush Life came along. Never Forget You came along. Changed my life. Started touring a whole lot to different places. And now I'm here. I'm 23 years old today and just released my sophomore album, Poster Girl. I feel like I did really good on that one. I think I think you got it. <laughs> you really nailed it. <laughs> God damn. You're like, and I'm Zara Larson, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I might even have some spare time. Um, but yeah, and here we are today, V Magazine, talking about contraception. Here we are. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I don't know if you remember, but the last time that I saw you was in Stockholm. It was really nice. And I think it was, if not July of last year, it was June of last year. So it's it's been a year, basically, which is crazy. That's not, that's not too far. That's not too long. It's not too long, but it's been a strange year. It has been. It's just funny because I think last summer when we met, it kind of felt like things were maybe getting close to ending. And then there was another year of it. And in that year, you released an album. So what was releasing an album in the middle of the pandemic like? You know, why I do this, this whole music thing is because I love to perform so much. That's literally my number one thing. And I haven't been able to do that a lot. I've done one live show on a stream on YouTube, but without any audience and that. So I miss that a lot. But except for that, I must admit that all the promo and stuff you do around an album have been so great because I've just done it from like the corner of my couch or laying in my bed and I'm like hey good morning talking to radio or whatever yeah. it had pros and cons absolutely but I am 
so excited to kind of get back up on stage. I just announced today as we're speaking that I will have a Scandinavian tour and hopefully a European and a US one next year. So I feel like we're, we're getting back. We're getting back to where we were. And I just want to like hug strangers and all of that. It's been very different. Have you become more of a homebody in all of this? Or were you already a homebody? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't really move. Like if I don't have to. And I think I'm very lazy in my nature. If it's not about, you know, my job, which is also my hobby, like singing and dancing and some sort of performance I just literally won't move yeah only to pick up my food that are <laughs> ringing on the door because I don't cook either so I've really been like off almost for a year I love that you live in these like two extremities you're either comatose yes. on a sofa yes. and not moving or you're like on stage in front of the world performing it's one or the other yeah that's what it is there's no in between with Zara no <laughs> about the tour that's coming up you said you just announced this this morning right yeah you said you did like one sort of live performance I know you also released this video game recently with sort of like the deluxe version of the album mm-hmm. can you explain more of how that works it's so new to me are you talking about Roblox Roblox yeah. yeah 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 so Roblox is this hugely popular platform basically that just a lot of people spend their time on I've never been like a gamer girl. I think what I've done is like play Mario Kart on Wii sometimes. But I really got into it as we were building this world. This is our Larson world, which is so cute. Everything is pink. It's like a big summer house. Well, it's kind of a mansion yeah. um, more than a summer house. Let's like, be honest. It's a let's be honest. We didn't do the humble version of that. <laughs> it was just so cute. Everything I wanted it to be. And it's basically a virtual world where you can go in and like, watch this little 50 minute show that I did so that was really fun also a new way to connect with people Mm. I think I don't know if it it would have been as relevant for me if we didn't have the pandemic but it was such a nice way of reaching out to a lot of young people or just to people in general who are playing this game I think we've had close to like definitely three million people coming into the into the world you know roblox is huge and anybody can build a world if you have the skills for that i didn't do it myself somebody definitely helped me <laughs> you didn't do all of the coding oh no i know i know i know it's surprising but i did it sarah larson the phony <laughs> <laughs> but it was really cute and, and fun and sweet and i love that you know even the the live stream concert that i have with ikea was like also something i wouldn't have been able to do if the world was in its normal state Mm. but now anybody can watch that from anywhere in the world and the production is it's just really cool and different because we did things that we wouldn't have been able to do if we had an audience you know now we just have the cameras and that so I think it also brought some positive things to the whole entertainment industry that I really enjoyed yeah I mean one thing you've kind of answered this but one thing I was going to ask about is like there there's the saying that creativity kind of comes from constraints like if you Mm. have like billions of dollars and you can do whatever you want then that's one thing but you also have to get creative when you have less options or less resources so I I was going to ask how did the pandemic force you to get more creative I think you're just kind of forced to come up with something because I won't spend 100% of the time in my sofa like eating Mm. sushi I really do want to I want to do what I do, which is entertaining people in different forms. 
you know, and now we've just taken that online. So the online thing has been huge. Also, my label is calling me every day and they're like, do TikToks, make TikToks. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what should I do? I put so much pressure on myself on TikTok, but I'm slowly getting into it. I remember though when we met <laughs> last summer and I was asking like what are you doing with your life and your time you were telling me you're like oh me and my friends we set up these like little plays and we do some acting and skits and things together and all this I feel yeah. like that's very TikTok I feel like you can I'm not too worried about you on that yeah no I'll do fine I think I just feel really old me too for like the first time in my life where I'm like wow I'm so like out of the loop naturally because TikTok is for the younger generation. I really sound old now. But what Instagram was for me, like I remember being 13 and like Instagram was new and, you know, you would just go in and you wouldn't take it super serious. You would like post a picture of your homework and you'd be like, boo, hate homework, hashtag boring with like this weird frame around it. Yeah. And that's kind of like how you should treat TikTok. I think I take it very, very seriously in my head. But I do that with everything that I do. You know, I overthink stuff and I want it to be perfect and yada, yada. And I think it's just like, it's really just a fun way of connecting with people. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's a bit different for you because if I do TikTok, like my mom sees it. And if you do TikTok, (laughs) I feel like a few more people will see it. So I understand the pressure. Yeah. I do want to sort of pivot into the topic that we're going to be talking about with the doctor. And Mm -hmm. I guess it kind of starts with social media. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you kind of became this very pro-contraception almost face because at least in part of an Instagram post that you did with a condom oh yeah can you you go back in time and explain that to us wow I remember that that was a huge topic on my first U.S. radio tour where I was promoting never forget you so that was a couple Uh years ago and I just started out I had like a few hundred thousand followers on Instagram and for some reason I had a huge bowl of condoms (laughs) in my bedroom and I was really young I haven't like I didn't use a single one but uh-huh. I think anybody could take as many as they wanted from the school nurse because we had like a day where you talked about condoms and how to stay safe. So I took a lot and just, you know, better safe than sorry. Right, right. And I was just bored. And I saw this girl on Tumblr back when Tumblr was really popping and she had like put it on her foot. And I was just like, I have to try that. So I did it. But to my surprise, it didn't just fit my foot. It fit my whole damn leg like up to my knee I remember and I was just in shock yeah and then I thought about all the guys who said like I had some girlfriends who uh, had boyfriends who told them oh baby I can't wear a condom because I'm too big and I was just looking down at my leg like sir you might be big but you are not bigger than my leg I know that for sure That's yeah. Yeah. so I just posted a picture kind of making fun of those guys because you know there's no excuse to say why you shouldn't have a condom like it's uncomfortable could be one but it's a lot more uncomfortable to have an unwanted pregnancy or an std or you know all of that yeah yeah and people people love that they really did i didn't think that was going to take off as much as it did but that was like the focus talking point on my whole radio tour i, I know that. i figured <laughs> let's just bring it back i was like maybe she's yeah. not done maybe she's not done talking about the conflict like <laughs> she probably didn't get enough of that out of her system no but that's something that 
you know, it's so easy. And like anybody should have that boys and girls mm-hmm. in their pocket going out, whatever, because you don't know who you're seeing or who you're meeting. I had a guy friend who was like, yeah, you know, I met this girl. She was really cute, yada, yada. And I asked him, did you wear a condom? And he was like, no, but, you know, she went to university. I was like, boy, what? First of all, <laughs> she went to university and she was young and hot. You should have used that extra much. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you can't yeah. see in someone's yeah. face if they're like free from any this. Come on. Yeah. But he was like dead serious. He just said, no, but she just felt so like fresh. And I was just shaking my head. <laughs> it's a good topic. I feel like, like it's it's an important one too. It is a good topic. So we can bring the doctor in and start asking a couple questions. Her name is Dr. Carrie Ann Baker. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hi, Dr. Baker. How are you? Fine. Great. How are y'all doing today? We're good. Good. I'm excited. Yeah, we're super excited to talk. Thank you so much for taking the time to connect on this. So Zarya has a couple questions and things that we'll be going over in the discussion, but I'm wondering to start if you can just give us a little sort of bio of, of who you are and why, why you're talking about this subject. Yeah, sure. I'm a professor at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts, and I have a long background in research on reproductive health rights and justice. I'm also a lawyer and I teach gender law and policy classes. So I teach in a wide range of areas, including violence against women, reproductive rights, family law, all of that. Amazing. Well, that's perfect. I'm jealous. It's really fun. (laughs) It sounds so interesting. For real. If I weren't like a singer, I would have loved to go into, you know, women's rights and healthcare. (laughs) And especially you said you're a lawyer too. I just feel like it's Mm -hmm. so interesting and important. You do a very important work. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you are doing very important work in areas related to this. Yeah. By getting the word out. I I also write for Ms. Magazine, and that's like my effort to get the word out to the broader world. Amazing. What made you get into, sorry, you might have not been done, but I just like have a hundred questions. No, go right ahead. What made you choose a career on basically women's rights? What made you interested in that? Well, I think I I was sort of born feminist in the sense that like I was irritated by all the things (laughs) that happened in the world that nobody else thought was a problem. (laughs) I always said I was like a stranger in a strange land and I'd always be like the fussy one, like, you know, why is he treating her like that? And everybody was like, well, that's just how it is, you know, and I, you know, it was very irritating. But the other thing is I came up around the time of a series of Supreme Court decisions that began to really roll back abortion rights in the United States. Mm. It was Webster versus Reproductive Health Services. It was a 1989 case. And I remember it was after I was in college and I went down to Washington, D.C. for a massive march. And it was really exciting. And I think that's what got me interested. And in un- I want to understand more about the law and like, what are they doing to our rights and what can we do to fight back? Yeah. What was that lawsuit about? It was a law in Pennsylvania that was limiting access to abortion at public hospitals and putting in place all sorts of restrictions. And, you know, it was kind of the beginning of this, you know, multiple decades 
decade attack on abortion rights in the United States. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're kind of a ridiculous country. Unlike many places in the world, like many European nations, it's just not a big deal. Right. But because we have all these like super fundamentalist Christian people in the United States and they're like obsessed with sexuality and, and you know, mm. contraception and abortion. Yeah. We've been fighting these fights for decades and it's so tiresome. And, you know, I mean, they don't actually care about fetuses. I don't think, I think they are just really bothered by women having sex and, you know, without consequences. I agree. And it's, it's so interesting when you say that, that that was in the eighties, did you say 89? Yeah. That we're still out here yes. and they're still are trying to, you know, roll back abortion rights or access to health care in any way. And it's just yeah. mind bogging how that is still something that we are out here trying to fight for. Absolutely. That they won't take it away. Yeah. And, you know, some of them are going to Europe now and trying to influence like U.S. anti-abortion groups are in Poland and Russia mm. and Ireland trying to organize opposition. So watch out for it over there. <laughs> yeah. I hope we're safe in Sweden where I'm from, but definitely I can yeah. feel the waves of that politic kind of sweeping over Europe a bit. Yeah. Uh, as you said, in Poland and Russia, and it's really, it's really scary to see, but I hope that my generation will fight back. And now we also have, you know, the internet, social media, you yeah. can spread things a lot faster and get people engaged. Has it always been like this? Or was, when did this start? When people were like, whoa, 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 women, hold up. You know what I mean? <laughs> or has it just always been in nature where mostly older men want to have a say? Yeah. Or does this start somewhere? Not even just to say, they want to be able to control these bodies, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's always been controversial, although it varies depending on the time in the country, the part of the country. I mean, the thing that's consistent is that in countries where women's rights are endangered or limited, women have very little control over their reproduction. Mm -hmm. And in countries where women are empowered, they do have a lot of control. And, and it's been a battle. I mean, you know, and it just depends on the time in the country as to, yeah. you know, where we stand. Birth control, mm -hmm. you know, has been around for a really long time, hasn't it? If not, you know, Absolutely. the pills, maybe natural remedies, or how have people done that? Yeah, forever people have used contraception. Actually, interestingly, the book of Genesis in the Bible mentions withdrawal as a form of birth control, if mm. you can believe it. And Egyptian papyruses from 1550 BC talked about spermicides. Mm. And, you know, there's been a long history of different kinds of methods like barrier methods and, you know, herbs that you could take and, you know, other kinds of things. I mean, lactation, you know, nursing a baby would yeah. prevent pregnancy. And so, or not reliably, but it would decrease the chances. But that's interesting though, you know, because in this society, a lot of women will be frowned upon. I mean, a lot of women are frowned upon just breastfeeding their baby, especially out yes. in public. But mm -hmm. imagine, you know, a woman breastfeeding her child and the child is two or three years old. People would think she would be crazy, but that was way more normal 
back in the days, wasn't it? Because that's just absolutely how you would do it. My theory on that is that the breast in our world is so sexualized that people are really uncomfortable seeing (laughs) a woman breastfeed her child. And there's like movements here in the U.S. to push back on that. Like a woman got thrown off of an airplane for breastfeeding. And then all these like breastfeeding mothers showed up at the airport and did a nurse in where they all were like nursing Uh, their babies really visibly. And they're like, uh, you know, we're not going to be pushed out of public spaces because we want to feed our babies. Our breasts aren't just sexual objects. They're like, right. It's like people forgot what they're used for or like why they're even there. Yes, absolutely. So interesting. Dr. Baker, I just want to ask you, especially because you are a lawyer, Mm -hmm. I think the lawsuits that are going on about abortion rights are pretty well known. I wonder if you know or can talk about were those same battles happening over basic contraception to make certain things legal? Like, was that a big battle? Yeah, in the United States, it absolutely was. In 1870, they passed a law called the Comstock Law, which prohibited contraception, basically, and and sharing information about contraception. You know, and it was, again, this sort of prudish, like, we shouldn't be talking about this stuff and women shouldn't be using contraception. And for years, you know, it was underground. And then Margaret Sanger, the famous founder of the birth control movement, got herself arrested a bunch of times because she just broke the law openly. And they arrested her and they put her in jail and she fled the country. And there were all sorts of campaigns to get these laws overturned, but they were in place for decades. And a sort of prudish guy named Anthony Comstock, who the laws were named after, became the postmaster general. And he like sniffed through everybody's mail and found stuff talking about birth control or sex and would like arrest them. And I mean, it was really uptight. And it took just a lot of work to get contraceptives available to people. And then, you know, it took forever to get the pill created. I mean, that was created in the 50s underground because it was so controversial by Margaret Sanger and other activists. And, you know, it took a while to get that approved. It was approved in 1960. And even today, it's like controversial again. And people are trying to get it so that it covered by health insurance or whatever. Do you think it would have been the same kind of, not outrage, but controversy if, you know, we did the opposite. So instead of uh, researching for women's contraceptions, if we would have men take it. Yeah, I always I always say that if men could get pregnant, contraception would be available in a gumball machine and bacon flavored, <laughs> you know, and, and abortion pills too. Yeah. You know, it's like this is, has so much to do with gender. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's funny contraception has been seen as like women's responsibility. Right. And so we don't have a male pill right now, which is kind of ridiculous. Why do you think that is to like slow down the swimming of the sperm or to slow, like, you know what I mean? Just make it, make the sperm useless, basically. Yeah. I think part of it is that, you know, sort of scientifically it's difficult, but I mean, we put people on the moon. We're like in Mars. I mean, Mm -hmm. we could figure this out. If there was a will, there'd be a way, (laughs) but there just hasn't been a will. And the guys control, you know, have controlled the science, but there are some new, really interesting studies. I just was reading a study coming out of Harvard about a, a new pill that basically just disables sperm. So I'm hopeful that in the next 10 years or so, we'll have a male contraceptive pill Mm -hmm. and that will be huge. Now getting men to use it, who knows? Right. Cause I I don't even know, you know, if, if I would have been with a guy and he was like, no, I'm taking the pill. I would have been like, but are you though? (laughs) You know, know. (laughs) I guess that goes both ways really, but I don't know if I would (laughs) have. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'd want double protection, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what percentage of women today is using some type of birth control? I guess a condom is, you know, contraception. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, barrier methods are totally a form yeah. of birth control. So about 65% of people globally use modern forms of contraception. And most of these studies are done on married or partnered women. So that's just a caveat. Right. But it really varies by country. And like in the US, it's about 65%. But in the UK, it's 85%. Mm-hmm. In total, it's 17%. Mm. And a lot of this has to do with access, yeah. you know, and here in the United States, we have a for-profit medical mm-hmm. business. So it costs to get contraception. Uh, I just saw my friend who posted on her Instagram story where she was taking out her pills. And she said, yeah. I can't believe I have to go here every other month and I have to pay $400. Mm-hmm. And I was in shock. Yeah. I just couldn't believe yes. you have to pay $400 every other month for you to just not get pregnant when you were with your boyfriend or anything like it's just wow yeah absolutely it's ridiculous who can afford that not a lot of people no and this is why the u.s has one of the highest unwanted pregnancy rates and one of the highest teen pregnancy rates Mm. i mean not only do we make contraception expensive but we don't teach sex ed Mm. or we teach abstinence sex ed which is like not teaching sex ed that's just like trying to scare kids away from sex, which is like a losing attempt. Both my, uh, my parents were like exchange students in America. And my dad was in this little small town in Texas. And they never, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) you know where this is going. And, um, (laughs) you know, they were very conservative and nobody Mm -hmm. talked about sex or nobody did Mm -hmm. anything, you know, about pregnancies or anything like that. And it's so funny how, the parents would never allow opposite sex or anything like that in the same home. So that won't really change the fact that young people are still going to have sex. So instead of doing it in the house safely, they were just in some fucking car in like parked at a field or at an airport or, you know, and then they got pregnant anyways. And they didn't understand how that happened. Yeah, it's really scary, the sort of mystical thinking that if we don't talk about it, they won't do it. You know, it's like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. They're going to do it. And if you don't talk about it, they're going to get pregnant or they're going to get STDs. And again, I think a lot of that, especially in places like Texas, it's this sort of religious idea that sex is bad, mm. and, except maybe in marriage, but even then only for reproduction. You know, that whole, you know, dividing reproduction from from sex and and we can just have sex for pleasure we don't need to only have it when we want to have a baby i mean that is very alien to a lot of particularly religious people definitely i've heard a lot of comments saying well if you don't want to be pregnant then don't have sex and people forget that it feels good you know like It's a part of a full life. Absolutely. But I think this is kind of a a side thing. Well, not a side thing, a really important thing. I think one reason why contraception and abortion is so controversial in the United States is our racial politics. 
because there is a lot of concern among white people that they want to maintain white supremacy. And they see people like immigrant families coming in with lots of kids or they or historically African-American people having kids. And it's made white people really nervous. And actually, historically, yes, like in the 19th century, when abortion was banned, it was during high immigration and white people are like, uh oh, white women are having fewer and fewer kids. Wow. And, you know, immigrants are coming from Europe with these huge families. And therefore, we need to ban contraception and ban abortion so that white people will have as many babies and we can maintain political power. And it's still true that that's part of the dynamics. That's insane. It is. It is. And we have a long history course of sterilization of women and color in this country, like Native American women, African American women, wow. like huge percentages were sterilized against their will. And it's still going on today. Like there's a really high profile case in Georgia where they were sterilizing and hysterectomizing women in detention, immigrant women. Oh, I read that. It, yes. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's part of white supremacy in the United States, I think. Yeah. But who has access to, who would you say mostly have access to, you know, contraceptions or abortion? Is there a socioeconomic difference or like a racial difference or how, how is that? Because in some states, Absolutely. they only have, they might have one clinic somewhere or yes. one doctor yeah. they could go to for birth control or um, not even that maybe. How does that look spread out in the country or in the world, if you know? So economics is obviously a huge thing. Women that have economic resources often have access. In the United States, you know, that's correlated with race. Um, African-American women are disproportionately low income, disproportionately don't have access to health care, and then have higher rates of unwanted pregnancies, and then higher rates of abortion. And, you know, in our country regionally, the South and the Midwest tends to be more conservative, more red, meaning Republican, lots of restrictions on abortion and contraception, whereas the Northeast and the you know, West Coast is more progressive. Yeah. And and globally, again, yeah, it, it varies a lot by by access to money. So I mentioned earlier that only 17% of women in Togo use modern birth control methods. A lot of that has to do with economics. Yeah. And, you know, in the UK, 84% are using contraception. That has to do with nationalized health care and money, the resources. But You know, this is a huge problem. It's an equity or a a reproductive justice problem Mm -hmm. to make sure that all people have access. Here in the U.S., when they limit access to contraception and abortion, they know that disproportionately low-income women are going to suffer and women of color are going to suffer. And so here in the U.S., we talk about reproductive justice, which is more than reproductive rights. It's not just making it legal. It's making it sure that it's accessible to everybody, particularly low-income women and women of color. Doctor, you've obviously been working in this field for a really long time. What would you say have been some of the biggest differences or changes that you've seen happen in the past couple of decades? So from when you started till now, whether it's people's perception of it, the laws around it, like what have you seen change drastically? But one thing I would say is that when I was coming up, contraception wasn't controversial. It was just not controversial. But as our country has become more polarized and the religious right has gotten so strong politically, contraception is now being 
seen by those folks as a form of abortion or as wrong. And this really developed after the Obama passed the Affordable Care Act and contraception was made more available because of that law. A bunch of religious groups began to protest and say, well, you know, if I'm an employer, I don't want my employees to have access to contraception. And they took the case all the way to the Supreme Court. It was the Hobby Lobby case. And they won all these protections for being able to deny their employees contraception. I mean, that's just absurd. It is absurd. If you don't like abortion, you should be like handing out contraception like candy yeah. in the workplace. But, you know, again, it's not about abortion. It's not about anything but making sure women don't have sex. And that's connected to making sure women stay in their place, right? Stay at home. Don't try to get political power. I mean, our country is so behind. Only about 25% of people in Congress are women still. Like white men are still like the vast majority of political leaders in our country. And they like that. And they want to keep that. And one way of keeping power is to make sure women don't have access to reproductive control. That's insane. I was just watching actually right before I got on this call the new season of The Handmaid's Tale. And <gasps> oh my gosh, that's such a terrifying <laughs> It is. Like, and it's Oof. so scary because, you know, when you watch it, you're like, this is, you know, obviously it's not what the world looks like now, but you realize as you watch it that it could be, or if something happened, if one really super right-winged group who also, you know, they love their weapons and the <laughs> military just came and like took over in this way, that could happen. Like we're not too far away from that. Scarily, scarily enough. I totally agree with you. You know, Margaret Atwood, who wrote The Handmaid's Tale that yeah. that series is based on, she said when she wrote the book that everything in that book has happened in the real world. I mean, she just brought things together, but like the whole handmaid thing comes out of the Bible, right? The idea of having another woman, you know, have ch children for you because you have infertility. And, you know, in the United States, it feels really scary to watch that show, especially during the Trump administration, because I know, right? these things are happening. It's not that far-fetched. You know, I think it's really important that people watch that series and think seriously about it and not think that it's just like this remote dystopia, that pieces of the handmail tale are happening in the U.S. right now. Like the Supreme Court just accepted a case that they are likely going to overturn Roe versus Wade, which is what makes abortion legal in the United States. And if that happens, like half the states in our country are going to make abortion illegal. We're going to have an underground railroad where women are traveling from states in the South and the Midwest to states like where I live, Massachusetts, to get abortion. And we're already preparing for that. I'm the oh. former president of an abortion fund here in Massachusetts. And we're like raising money and preparing to like receive women from other states so they can get care that they need that they can't get where they live. It's ridiculous. Wow. I just don't have words for that. I really don't. Yeah. You know, by the way, one of our famous cases, Sherry Finkbein in the 1960s, she couldn't get an abortion. She flew to Sweden to get one. Do you know her story? No, I don't. She was one of the early, this was before Roe versus Wade. She had taken thalidomide, which was a drug that caused all sorts of problems with pregnancies. It was like a nausea drug mm -hmm. or a miscarriage drug. Mm -hmm. And she found out that it caused problems. And so she was going to get an abortion in Texas. Mm -hmm. And she got like a therapeutic exception. But then then she spoke out about it before she got it and they banned her from getting it. And so she had to fly to Sweden to get her abortion. Would that be legal, though? You know, if it's it not was. legal in your state, would you be able to travel somewhere it's where it's legal? 
Yeah. But you know, you can only do that if you have a lot of money. Absolutely. So she was able yeah. to afford it, but yeah, she wasn't, you know, they let her do it, you know, cause she did it elsewhere and then she came back, but that were actually your questions really good because in a sort of handmaid's tale world, I mean, in theory, Texas could pass a law saying you're not allowed to travel state lines to go somewhere else to get an abortion. And if you do, then we're going to arrest you. And then I think we'll see migration. We'll yeah. see women leaving those states. I mean, God forbid. But it is very interesting. Like you say, you know, it doesn't make sense. The people who are against abortion are also very against contraception or birth control I know. or even sex education, because yep. I feel like they also kind of know that <laughs> pregnancies will happen because of that. Yeah. And then they're just going to sit like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also people forget birth control and isn't only used for not wanting to have babies. Totally. It could be used for like women with endometriosis or women Mm -hmm. who have, you know, hormonal imbalances or even acne or even like there's a million different reasons to use birth control. Absolutely. Dr. Baker, if you can expand on that a little bit only because I think we've We've talked so much about sort of where pregnancy and everything comes in, but then there's also, you know, sexually transmitted diseases or infections and and all of that, you know, and understanding that disease such as like HIV can spread Mm -hmm. if people are not using barriers, who in their right mind would ever be against that when that's obviously for everyone, a really bad thing. President George Bush II, that's who was against it. When he was in office back in the day, you know, 2000 and to 2008, he instituted a policy that all U.S. family planning funds around the world could not talk about contraception, including condoms. And organizers here who are fighting AIDS were like, this is insane. You know, and and they're like, well, women just shouldn't have sex. And it's like, well, a lot of women in a lot of the world don't have an option whether to have sex. Their husbands are demanding it or their boyfriends are demanding it. And if you say they can't use condoms or they can't have access to it, you are putting them at serious risk. And so, yeah, it's definitely really dangerous to say that you can't use condoms or that you shouldn't use condoms or that it's immoral. And by the way, the Catholic Church has been a big actor in this area. They've really resisted even condoms, but all kinds of contraception and in developing countries. And it's really deadly for people. It's really dangerous to deny them access because of things like STDs, including AIDS, which is deadly. People die of it all the time. Is that what it comes back to? They just don't Ultimately, they just don't want people to have sex. They think that is the ultimate contraception to stay away from it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Catholic Church position is the only reason to have sex is to procreate. So you should always be open to procreation. So if you're trying to prevent it by using, you know, which is also very, you know, homophobic. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know, right. Great point. Totally. And, you know, obviously they are that as well. And a lot of the people that oppose contraception and abortion also oppose same-sex relationships and sex outside of marriage and all of that. I mean, they're anti-sex and they're judgy. It's like, not only are they anti-sex for themselves, but they're anti-sex for you Mm -hmm. and you and you and everybody else. (laughs) And they want to kind of like tell everybody, you know, that they're bad. And and this all contributes to stigma, which is huge. Stigma around sex, but also stigma around contraception and abortion. And And it contributes to sexual assault as well. If women can't talk about their experiences of sex, they can't talk about their experiences of assault. And I think actually, especially with regard to the Catholic Church, I think that's part of it too. I mean, the history of sexual assault and covering up sexual assault in the Catholic Church is obviously horrendous. And many of these people who are all, you know, anti-sex are 
are often the same people who are either running around behind the scenes having a lot of sex <laughs> or, you know, assaulting people. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's unfair, but I mean, I, at least some of them are. What can you do as a young person, you know, no matter where you live in the world, where mm. you feel like, oh, condoms just isn't as accessible as I would like it to be, or my birth control isn't as accessible as I would like it to be. How can you change that? Yeah, yeah. Well, you said something earlier, which I thought was really important, which is about access to information on the internet. There are so many amazing groups working in countries all across the world on these issues. Yeah. And the key to social change is getting together with your people, right? Mm. And organizing and talking and sharing information and finding connections with people in the community that can help you because that is the way that social change happens. Speaking out things like what you do, speaking out, using your position mm -hmm. and your access to media to speak out about things. I mean, I hugely appreciate the work that you were doing and you do it with like humor too. <laughs> I love the like stick in your leg yeah. in the condom thing. I mean, that's <laughs> bothered me forever that guys are like, I'm too big. I to know, right? <laughs> That was hilarious. So uh, yeah, just prove them wrong. Prove them wrong and then post it on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> I think that does help. I think you're right. I think it does help. It, but it's hard, you know, on the internet, it gets more and more, more polarized. Yes. But if we could have like some form of discussion or just yeah hearing each other out in a way, you know what I mean? Like it's really hard because obviously I won't yeah. really agree with whatever someone who is opposed to condoms or like any of that but they must have gotten it from somewhere who yeah thought that was okay to be against it and they also must have gotten it from somewhere and I think a lot of it just really stems from not being educated Absolutely. I mean, we see that here in the United States, the guys that are pushing all these anti-abortion laws do not understand basic reproduction. Like they didn't have comprehensive sex ed. You know, they say things like, oh, if you're raped, you can't get pregnant. Only if she wanted the sex can she get pregnant. Well, that's just stupid. They really say that. <sighs> they do say that. They do say that. It's just so like, wow, you, why do you open your mouth? To say, like, <laughs> exactly. how can you fix your mouth to say that and be so confident? Aren't you embarrassed by saying yeah, that? But like, do you think they know that deep down they're wrong? Or do you think they really, really believe in that? Because that's an interesting take. Like some people, when you argue with them, I'm like, where do I stand? Like, are you just trolling yeah. right now? Are you just yeah. trying to get a reaction? Or do you truly, truly believe that? Because that is even more dangerous in a way, if you really think that, you know, yeah. if you're raped, you can't get pregnant. Yeah. You know, it's hard to know. And I'm sure it varies by person, yeah. but I think there, like you said earlier, there's a lot of misinformation uh, swarming around there because of lack of education. Yeah. And they're not doing their homework. They're just speaking, you know, what they heard or, I mean, we saw a lot of this with Donald Trump. He just sort of said whatever came to his <laughs> mind. He didn't care whether it was true. He just said whatever he felt like. If you say it with enough confidence, people yep. will believe you. Yep. Yep. And then other people go repeat it. Yeah. So I think that we need to have really, you know, intense public education campaigns around these issues with just basic facts and good authorities and, you know, good information and going out in the communities and talking to people face to face. A grassroots work. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Just, you know, 
face to face in small groups, speaking mm. and speaking to young people in particular, yeah. like people your age. I think it's so important that you speak to people that are like in middle school mm. and high school that are like hungry for good information, yeah. but are targeted by either anti-abortion religious people or people wanting to sell something that are willing to like mislead them. And so, you know, just reaching out to young people and getting them educated about these issues. Yeah. What do you think people are looking for? I mean, this is more like a pharmaceutical question, but what do you think people are looking for in the next like birth control? Is it less hormones? Is it longer, you know, that you don't have to think? Because I know I've been on like a hundred different contraceptions. <laughs> right, so with right. the day I got a boyfriend, my mom was like, yeah, we're going to the doctor. <laughs> like we are not having a pregnancy. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm really thankful for that. I can't take like the pill because I'm very forgetful. I've had like the little thing right. in the arm and now I have a spiral and I have like a plaster. I've had a lot. But what do you think people are looking for? Do you think it depends on women to woman or if you have like, you know, uterus and that? Or do you think we're just looking for like a specific thing? Hopefully that will make less side effects, right? Exactly. Something with little side effects and low maintenance. So things popular are like IUDs or shots, you know, that you just get periodically. But people have a lot of needs, like some people have intolerance to hormones or other. So I think that there needs to be a lot of options and that people need to be fully informed about all of their options and then given the choice. Mm. You know, what happens here in the United States, unfortunately, is there's a lot of like directing, for instance, low income girls of color towards larks, long acting, you know, the larks of the shops yeah. and things. And, you know, that may not be best for their health. So just really informed care that really centers patient driven reproductive health care, which means that you just give your patients the information and let them choose what they want. And then a lot of options. And I really believe strongly like male contraceptive pill would be an important thing to develop. Mm -hmm. But there's been a lot of new stuff developed over the last 10 to 15 years. And it's really opening up more and more options. And I think that like the decrease in unwanted pregnancies here in the United States and teen pregnancy has a lot to do with all these new methods that are being made available. And we just need to make them available without cost and conveniently and, you know, with all the information. I think that's what's really important. Yeah. Okay. I'm so happy that you wanted to speak to me today. I thought it was super interesting. And a part of me like wants to go to medical school and become a doctor so I can fly (laughs) down to Texas and help all these women in like, not a sketchy basement, but like, you know, I just want to like be on the (laughs) front lines it feels like a war it really does it's like a war against women and Mm -hmm. everyone who's not like a white old man that's what it's absolutely and it's about power it's about power gender race i mean it's about control of women and so it is a war Mm -hmm. and women have to keep fighting i mean we've been fighting this battle for a long time i mean margaret sanger in the 30s and you know, before that. And we're going to be fighting it for a while, but it's a hugely important battle and we need to see it for what it is. It's about power. And you are doing such an amazing job. I'm really, I'm really happy that I got to talk to you. And you are too. I thank you for all that you're doing, speaking out on this. It's hugely important to get the word out there. Thank you, V Magazine. And thank you both so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. It was a super fascinating conversation, a really complex history about a subject that should be much more simple mm-hmm. than it is, yeah, unfortunately. I agree. <laughs>
Yeah. But that was super interesting. Thank you again both so much for your time. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for including me. I really appreciate it. Bye. Now that you've spent 45 minutes listening to Zara Larson talk about safe sex, make sure to also listen to the re-release of her album, Poster Girl, which is out now. It's so good. It is full of bangers. It's a perfect summer album. You can, of course, also follow her on Instagram, on Twitter, and maybe even on TikTok, although we know that last one does make her a little bit nervous, so be gentle. Also, just a few minutes before we hopped on this call, Zara announced her upcoming Scandinavian tour via Instagram. Concerts are very much a pre-pandemic 2019 vibe. I love the idea of it. I wish I lived in Sweden so I could go. But if you are in Scandinavia, make sure to get your tickets. They went on sale this morning. If you'd like to learn more about the work Dr. Carrie Ann Baker is doing to make this world a better and more equitable place for all women, head over to her website, carriebakerphd.com. That's C-A-R-R-I-E-B-A-K-E-R-P-H-D.com. There you can find links to her published work, including her contributions to Ms. Magazine and her monthly column for the Daily Hampshire Gazette. As always, don't forget to subscribe. It really makes a difference. V Wanna Know is produced by Ryan Killian Krauss. I'm your host, Matthias. We'll see you next time. <laughs>